Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of hepatorenal syndrome found under the gastrointestinal section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 55-year-old man is admitted to the hospital due to fatigue, malaise, and weakness in the setting of poorly controlled cirrhosis. His symptoms began approximately one week prior to presentation, where he began to increase his alcohol intake after receiving news of the passing of his brother. Medical history significant for cirrhosis due to chronic alcohol use disorder and hepatitis C infection. On hospital day 7, he was found to have a creatinine of 3.7 when his creatinine was 1.2 upon admission, and has significantly decreased urine output. He was not started on any nephrotoxic medications, and post-renal obstruction has been ruled out. On physical exam, he is confused, has ascites, palmar erythema, jaundice, and gynecomastia. He is admitted into the intensive care unit to receive intravenous epinephrine and albumin. Let's continue with an introduction to hepatorenal syndrome. Clinically, it is defined as kidney failure in the setting of liver disease. There are two types of hepatorenal syndrome. Type 1 HPS is the severe form that has a rapid rise in creatinine that is a twofold increase in less than two weeks. Type 2 HPS is a less severe form that classically presents with ascites that is unresponsive to diuretics. Conditions that are associated include portal hypertension secondary to cirrhosis or severe alcoholic hepatitis or fulminant hepatic failure. Risk factors include acute or chronic liver disease, a low mean arterial blood pressure, dilutional hyponatremia, and urinary sodium retention, which may be severe. In terms of the etiology, this can occur spontaneously where it can be precipitated by spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. In terms of the pathogenesis, there is portal hypertension which triggers splanchnic arterial vasodilation. This in turn decreases systemic vascular resistance, which decreases renal perfusion. The decreased renal perfusion leads to a decline in glomerular filtration rate and sodium excretion. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will include fatigue, malaise, and dyscusia. On exam, one may note stigmata of chronic liver disease, such as palmar erythema, spider nevi, scleral icterus, gynecomastia, hepatosplenomegaly, ascites, caput medusae, and atrophic testes. One may also note oliguria. In terms of further studies, lab abnormalities will be secondary to pre-renal pathology. This will include a progressive rise in serum creatinine. In type 1 hepatorenal syndrome, there will be a rapid rise in serum creatinine, that is, a twofold increase in less than two weeks. In type 2 hepatorenal syndrome, the rise is less severe. One may also note a low sodium excretion rate. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about glomerulonephritis, vasculitis, diabetic nephropathy, and drug-induced nephrotoxicity, such as from aminoglycosides, diuretics, and contrast agents. And when making the diagnosis, remember that this is a diagnosis of exclusion. In terms of treatment, Medical options include norepinephrine with albumin. This is indicated in critically ill patients with hepatorenal syndrome. Another option is terlipressin with albumin or midodrine with octreotide and albumin. This is indicated in non-critically ill patients with HPS. Remember that the midodrine, octreotide, and albumin combination is typically given when terlipressin is not available. Operative options include dialysis. This is typically indicated in patients who are waiting for liver transplantation. Another option is liver transplantation. This is indicated as definitive treatment. Complications related to hepatorenal syndrome include worsening liver failure, which may result in hepatic encephalopathy, 
jaundice, and coagulopathy. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that this depends on the type of hepatorenal syndrome. However, the prognosis is typically poor without treatment. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to hepatorenal syndrome, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 67-year-old man is brought to the emergency department when he was found obtunded at the homeless shelter. The patient is currently not responsive and smells of alcohol. The patient has a past medical history of alcohol use, IV drug use, and hepatitis C. His temperature is 99 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 95 over 65. Pulse is 95 beats per minute. Respirations are 13 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 95% on room air. The patient is started on IV fluids and his pulse decreases to 70 per minute. On exam, the patient has an abdominal exam notable for distension and a positive fluid wave. The patient displays mild yellow discoloration of his skin. The patient has notable poor dentition and poor hygiene overall. A systolic murmur is heard along the left sternal border on cardiac exam. Pulmonary exam is notable for mild bibasilar crackles. Laboratory values are ordered and demonstrate a hemoglobin of 10, hematocrit of 32%, leukocyte count of 7,500 with a normal differential, and a platelet count of 227,000. Serum sodium is 125, chloride is 100, potassium is 5.0, bicarbonate is 24, BUN is 51, glucose is 89, creatinine is 2.2, calcium is 10.0, AST is 22, and ALT is 19. Urine studies demonstrate an amber color, negative nitrites, 12 millimoles per 24 hours of sodium, and zero red blood cells per high-powered field. Over the next 24 hours, the patient produces very little urine. Which of the following best explains this patient's renal findings? And the answer choices are, choice one, congestive heart failure. Choice two, dehydration. Choice three, liver failure. Choice four, nephrotoxic agent. Or choice five, post-renal azotemia. The best answer to this question is, choice three, liver failure. This patient is presenting with jaundice, ascites, and risk factors for liver failure, such as alcohol abuse and hepatitis C infection. His renal abnormalities suggest pre-renal azotemia secondary to hepatorenal syndrome. Hepatorenal syndrome occurs in patients who are already experiencing liver failure, such as in hepatitis or alcohol abuse. In liver failure, there is believed to be increased nitric oxide production in the splenic circulation secondary to portal hypertension, which causes systemic vasodilation, thus reducing renal perfusion. This, in turn, activates the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system and the ADH system, which results in further fluid retention and decreased renal perfusion. Hepatorenal syndrome presents with a pre-renal azotemia picture with an elevated creatinine, elevated BUN, and a BUN to creatinine ratio that is greater than 20 to 1, a low urine sodium, and no other explicable cause of this presentation, such as a lack of RBCs or casts on urinalysis. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Congestive heart failure could explain decreased renal perfusion in this patient's pre-renal picture. However, he lacks any other symptoms on physical exam that suggest a diagnosis of CHF. Choice 2. Dehydration could cause a pre-renal azotemia-like picture. However, in the setting of this patient's history and physical exam, 
liver failure, and subsequent hepatorenal syndrome is a more likely diagnosis. Choice 4. Nephrotoxic agents could cause intrarenal azotemia and would typically occur in the setting of exposure to a toxic agent and may demonstrate abnormalities on urinalysis, such as red blood cells and casts. In the setting of liver failure, hepatorenal syndrome is a more likely diagnosis. Choice 5. Post-renal azotemia occurs secondary to obstruction of the urinary system. Though this patient is producing less urine, this is likely secondary to the systemic vasodilation that is occurring in the hepatorenal syndrome. In addition, the BUN to creatinine ratio would be closer to 10 to 1 in this pathology. Finally, a bullet summary. Hepatorenal syndrome presents with pre-renal azotemia, such as elevated creatinine and BUN, and decreased urine sodium, and a decreased urine production. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 56-year-old man presents to the emergency department for progressively worsening fatigue, malaise, fever, and abdominal pain. He reports that his symptoms began approximately one week ago, and he has noticed episodes of diarrhea. He recently started melatonin and magnesium supplementation in hopes of improving his sleep. Medical history is significant for alcohol use disorder that requires multiple hospital admissions for management of acute pancreatitis and cirrhosis. He states that he occasionally injects heroin intravenously. Temperature is 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.8 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 105 over 70, pulse is 92 beats per minute, and respirations are 17 breaths per minute. Physical exam is significant for scleral icterus, hepatomegaly, ascites, and diffuse abdominal tenderness. Laboratory testing is significant for leukocytosis and metabolic acidosis. A paracentesis is performed and he is admitted to the hospital to receive intravenous cefotaxime and albumin. Acidic fluid analysis demonstrates a PMN count of 280 cells per millimeter cubed, serum ascites albumin gradient of 1.3, and a culture positive for Escherichia coli sensitive to cefotaxime and ceftriaxone. On hospital day two, the nurse reports that the patient is oliguric in the setting of constant fluid intake. Physical exam is unchanged. Laboratory testing is significant for a serum sodium of 131 and a creatinine of 1.8. It was originally 0.9 on admission. Urine studies are significant for a low urine sodium level without evidence of blood or protein. Since the hospital admission, he has not been started on any new medications. Which of the following will be the best treatment option for this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Adding dopamine to his treatment regimen. Choice 2. Adding lisinopril to the treatment regimen. Choice 3. Liver transplantation. Choice 4. Switching cefotaxime to ceftriaxone. Or choice 5. Transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunting. The best answer to this question is Choice 3. Liver transplantation. This patient's clinical presentation is consistent with hepatorenal syndrome precipitated by spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. Liver transplantation is the definitive treatment for patients with HRS. The goal of treatment in patients with hepatorenal syndrome is to improve liver function. For example, if hepatorenal syndrome resulted from decompensated hepatitis B infection, it is important to treat with effective antiviral therapy. However, Medical therapy is used when liver function improvement cannot be accomplished in the short term in order to improve renal function. Intravenous norepinephrine or terlipressin combined with albumin are examples of agents used in this setting depending on how critically ill the patient is. These medical therapies can be considered as a bridge to liver transplantation. 
Liver transplant is the most effective intervention in all patients who have hepatorenal syndrome as it improves survival. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Adding dopamine will not improve mortality or key parameters such as mean arterial pressure and glomerular filtration rate. Choice 2. Lisinopril is not involved in the management of hepatorenal syndrome. Choice 4. Switching cefotaxime to ceftriaxone will not improve the patient's renal function. It is imperative to initiate a vasoconstricting agent in addition to albumin to improve renal function. Also note that cefotaxime is preferred over ceftriaxone in the treatment of SBP as it has better acidic fluid penetration. Choice 5. Transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunting may be helpful in highly selective cases. Recall that TIPS is associated with a number of complications such as hepatic encephalopathy, bleeding, and worsening liver function. Finally, a bullet summary. Definitive treatment for hepatorenal syndrome is liver transplantation. For the third question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 54-year-old man with known end-stage liver disease from alcoholic cirrhosis presents to the emergency department with decreased urinary output and swelling in his lower extremities. His disease has been complicated by ascites and hepatic encephalopathy in the past. Initial laboratory studies demonstrate a creatinine of 1.73 up from a previous value of 1.12 one month prior. There have been no new medication changes and no recent procedures performed. A diagnostic paracentesis is performed that is negative for infection, and he is admitted to the hospital for further management and initiated on albumin. Two days later, his creatinine has risen to 2.34 and he is oliguric. Which of the following is the most definitive treatment for this patient's condition? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Cessation of alcohol use Choice 2. Peritoneovenous shunt Choice 3. Transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt Choice 4. Liver transplantation Or Choice 5. Hemodialysis The best answer to this question is Choice 4. Liver transplantation this patient presents with worsening of his baseline renal failure and a clinical picture consistent with hepatorenal syndrome, or HRS. The definitive treatment for HRS is liver transplantation. HRS in practice is a diagnosis of exclusion. The general approach is to rule out the other causes of an acute creatinine rise, such as infection, especially spontaneous bacterial peritonitis, medications, especially an increase in diuretic dose or other nephrotoxic medications, or recent volume shifts, such as from large-volume paracentesis or gastrointestinal bleeding. Typically, the creatinine is greater than 1.5. HRS is associated with a very poor prognosis. The only definitive treatment for HRS is liver transplantation. The publication by Heidelbaugh and Sherbendy discusses the complications and treatment of cirrhotic liver disease. Regarding HRS, they state that the leading hypothesis regarding its pathogenesis is arterial vasodilation in the splanchnic circulation which leads to severe underfilling of the arterial circulation, creating an effective hypovolemic state. Type 1 HRS is defined as either twofold increase in creatinine to greater than 2.5 or depression in the EGFR to less than 20. Type 2 HRS is characterized by creatinine increase to a stable level of approximately 1.5. Given the ambiguity in the diagnosis of HRS and its prognostic importance, Numerous studies have attempted to evaluate biomarkers to aid in differentiating between HRS, ATN, and other etiologies. The publication by Belcher et al. conducted one such study. Importantly, they found the fractional excretion of sodium 
to be consistently depressed with a median value of 0.1 in patients with HRS compared to other etiologies. Other markers such as IL-18 and neutrophil gelatinase-associated lipocalin showed promise but are not commercially available. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. At this point, the patient's liver disease is too decompensated for alcohol cessation to help. Choices 2 and 3. Peritoneal venous shunts and TIPS are both utilized in treating patients with decompensated liver disease. However, they are merely temporizing measures and do not address the underlying liver disease as transplantation does. Choice 5. Hemodialysis is frequently used to control azotemia and complications from renal disease, but it does not address the underlying driving pathology behind HRS. That's all for this review about hepatorenal syndrome. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.